Good morning, dear friends of God, and that is what we are. The Bible said we were born blind, dead, and enemies of God, but through his grace and mercy, he came and changed our hearts and made us his friend, and now we are his friends. If you're close friends with someone, you love to do what pleases them, even if you don't get it. Um, I learned that early in marriage in many, many different ways. One was, uh, if we're going to leave the house for an evening or for a couple days even, Mary wants to leave the house tidy and neat. She doesn't want to come back to a messy house. I want to get somewhere on time when the people tell us that, we're, that we should be there. And uh, I found out if I want to do that, I need to go clean the kitchen while she's getting ready instead of uh, trying to subvert what she wants, even though I don't get it. I don't get it, but I get her, and I love her, and I want to do what pleases her. I also love God, and so do you, and you want to do what pleases God even if you don't get it, even if you even think maybe his ideas aren't quite syncing with what you've lately been thinking. You have been converted. You are a friend of God, and you want to do what pleases him, and so you struggle within like I described a marriage struggle within, you struggle within to figure it out and get it right because you want to please God. When we study the Ten Commandments as a pastor and a teacher, my role is to be God's troubadour and to to be his spokesperson and to tell you what is right according to his word on the given commandment of that day, and today it's the Sixth Commandment. Do not commit adultery. God is our friend, and marriage is huge to him. Marriage is not a little thing to God. It shows up first in the Bible around the the sixth day of creation, the first and second chapter. After God talks about creating everything natural, he talks about creating marriage in chapter 2. And he holds it up high. He holds marriage up very high. At the end of the story, when he brought Eve to Adam, two genders, brings them together in marriage. There's no other human being on the face of the planet. Adam gets it, and he says, this is a wonderful help meet, because he said, before I was looking for one and couldn't find it. And what did Adam say? This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman, because she was taken out of man. And God said, for this reason... um, What reason? The reason that I made male and female and marriage and gave her to Adam as a gift and Adam to her as a gift for this reason that I created this huge thing on this earth called marriage, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. You race ahead in the Bible to Exodus, the second book, which is thousands of years later, when God hands down to Moses the big 10 that we're studying, marriage makes it in the top 10. Sixth commandment, do not commit adultery. God's people were just like you and me after the fall, just like you and me. They struggled to keep all the commandments, including the sixth. Story after story of people taking more than one wife and breaking the marriage vows and Judah himself going to a prostitute, which ends up being his daughter-in-law. There's story after story. David and Bathsheba, uh, 
Malachi chapter 2, the last book of the Old Testament. The priests are divorcing their wives and picking up younger women. They're tired of the fights and the arguments, and they just trade them in for a younger woman. And the priests were doing that. And Malachi is very emotional for God. God speaks through Malachi, and this is what God says. I hate divorce. It wrecks the family unit. I want godly offspring, and I intended that a male and female would raise the children, and they would do it in a committed relationship, and I hate divorce. God, this is our friend talking. Marriage is huge to him. When they came to Jesus and they wanted to argue about when, when you could divorce and when you could stay married, he said, did you not know that in the beginning God made them male and female? And he said, whoever, he said, he said, uh, he held it up and he said that, that he didn't want anyone to break it. And then he looked around and he said, whatever God has joined together, let no person put asunder. When the Apostle Paul, speaking for God in Ephesians, wanted to talk about Christ's relationship with the church, he went to the marriage of a man and a woman and back and forth, back and forth. In chapter 5 of Ephesians, he talks about the marriage commitment. And then we read it earlier in the first reading, Hebrews, late in the New Testament era, when God's in the last part of Hebrews, he's sweeping through the big things in God's heart. In chapter 13, he says, marriage should be honored by who? All. Singles, widows, boys, girls, husbands, wives, leaders, marriage should be honored at all by all. And what does he say? God will judge those who are immoral and will not honor it. That's God's word. That's the heart. That's God himself talking to you. So I'm going to say it as his troubadour to people who are in a society where immorality is the pet sin. You know it is. <laughs> Here it comes. Any physical relationship, sexual in nature, outside of the marriage of a man and a woman who've made a lifelong commitment that is obvious to everyone is sin. Anything. Same sex. Heterosexual. Long time dating. Not long time dating. Anything outside of a marriage of a man and a woman in a lifelong commitment that's obvious to everybody is a sin. Any joking about it, any thinking about it, it's all part of the sinful nature. None of that was part of God's plan, and it all swept in when Eve looked at the tree and said, I'll decide whether it's good for food, and I'll give some to my husband. And we're all plagued with it. And people have been plagued with the, the, the sin against the Sixth Commandment since that moment. The Bible's full of it. People falling, and so is our families, and so is our lives. So are our lives. And God says, this is huge to me. So the first thing I felt when we talk about the sixth commandment that I needed to do was to help you understand just how big this was to your best friend, God. This is huge. This isn't a little thing. Because we've been dulled, dulled by our society and ourselves and our sin, and that's what happens. 
And I need to awaken in you your conscience that you would no longer dull, let yourself be dulled, but that you would be renewed in your friendship with God. Just like when I talked about my marriage, clean that kitchen. No matter what you feel, no matter what you think, you wake yourself up. And then we started with that hymn, Awake, Awake. You wake yourself up and you clean that kitchen in your heart. And you say, God, if it's important to you, it's important to me. Now, having said that, this is another huge point that I think you need to, you and I need to look at when you think about the Sixth Commandment. You are not your own. This is a wonderful truth. You are God's idea. God decided that you were going to be born from eternity, made you just the way he wanted you, male or female. Also, it's a huge responsibility. It's a great privilege, and it's freeing and gives you value to know that you're a special creation by God, but it also gives you great responsibility. You're God's idea. You're not your own idea. And when you hear some woman say, it's my body and I can do what I want, you know already what the problem is. She's not walking by faith that she's God's own because she said it was her body, and it's not. It's God's body. He decided that person would be on the planet, and he gives you stewardship over it, but it's still his. And he's going to, it says in Psalm 104, call your breath away when he's done with your body. And he'll raise it again if you're a Christian, but it's his body, not yours. So when a woman says it's my body, you already know she's in the world. She's thinking like that other side at the tree where Adam and Eve were standing. Um, When a man says it also, though, same thing. You're not your own as a Christian. When Paul the Apostle tried to deal with the Corinthians, and the Corinthians were the premier pet sin with immorality. Immorality was their pet sin. They were the premier example of that, living in Corinth. When he wrote them two letters, he talked about purity. And when he talked about purity to the Christians in Corinth, this is what he said. You were bought at a price. Christ died for you. Your body's been purchased back. So he made you, and then you were swept away from God in sin, and then Christ purchased you back. You are God's servant by faith and love. He's your friend. He purchased your body back. You're covered with the blood of Christ, so you're owned twice by God. You're made by him, and you're purchased back. And you know what? As your God who owns you, he also promises to be your friend. It's a wonderful thing to keep in mind that you were made and saved by God and that he owns you and he's your friend. And it is your compass when you think about the sixth commandment. But it's not what we talk about. Often we're off on the surface of the matter when we need to get right at the core. You are not your own. I am not my own. I belong to God. And that's what Old Testament Joseph understood. And that's what makes Joseph in this story a fantastic example. Because Joseph had every reason to forget whose he was because of the way his life had gone. I'll quickly give you the background, but most of you know it. Joseph was the favored son of his father Jacob, 11th son of his mother Rachel. 
most beloved wife, Jacob, broke the commandment, had two wives, and then he took on their concubine, their servant, maidservants, two of them as concubines, ends up with 12 sons. At the time Joseph was, uh, all this happened, Benjamin had not been born yet, so he's the 11th of 11. But Joseph, favored son, has a coat of many colors. His brothers are jealous. God gives him dreams and shows that he's going to favor Joseph throughout his life. Brothers get really jealous because Joseph's telling them all this. They sell him into slavery. They want him out of the family. They almost killed him, but because there were 11 of the, or 10 of them and they argued about it, they finally sold him into slavery. God was watching over his life. He gets carried away for 20 years and he gets sold by the slave trader to a slave master who's in Egypt named Potiphar, who's pretty high up in the cabinet of the king, the pharaoh. Potiphar's the captain of the guard, and he has a lot of slaves. And God is, the Bible says God is with Joseph. It also says Joseph was handsome. Now, in a culture that worships looks and youth and vitality, we think that beauty and handsome is what we're all shooting for. And if you got it, flaunt it. That's what we're taught by the world. But Joseph was God's, and he wasn't flaunting it. He was just living out his life, and he would not exploit it. Because flaunting it is exploiting it, exploiting it for attention for yourself. He would not do that. And he wouldn't exploit it to get women. But there was a, an Egyptian woman, Potiphar's wife, who wanted Joseph as this young, virile young man in her house her husband brought home. And she had no boundaries around herself. She wasn't buoyed up by the truth that she was God's and that, and that she needed to serve God. She wanted Joseph, and she wouldn't leave him alone. And she badgered him and badgered him and badgered him. And here's a young man far away from home, very handsome, at the peak of his physical prime, and he's, and he's got every reason to believe that God has dumped him because God's letting all these bad things happen to him and just get his part out of life and get on with his life. And instead, he stays God's friend. And what's so beautiful about this story is this one line when, he, when he's at the peak of being tempted by her. Actually, it's right before the peak. He lays it out for her and he lays it out for you and me. And I'm trying to let you let God teach you about your heart and how he wants you to lead your heart and not follow it in regard to this matter. Ready? Let's read it. Now, Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. And here's what he said. With me in charge of everything in my master's house, with me in charge... He told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. Potiphar has been a, become a friend of Joseph, hasn't he? No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. And here's the one line. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? You might think in the paragraphs leading up to that that the word at the end of this sentence would be Potiphar, right? My master's given me all this and he's not he's withheld you because you're his wife. How could I do this wickedness and sin against Potiphar? But Joseph says what? Against God. 
because Joseph knows that God's the one who's moving Potiphar to do this. God made Joseph. God saved Joseph. God blesses Joseph even when bad things are happening. And Joseph's not going to use the bad things happening to justify getting his part out of life and going doing something selfish. And at the core of all marriage faults, living together outside of marriage, divorcing when you shouldn't, and, and it's not scripturally acceptable, messing up somebody else's marriage, getting involved in pornography, Snapchatting things you shouldn't do, doing things on dates that shouldn't be done. At the core of all of this stuff is selfishness. And Joseph knew that. And he said, how could I be selfish to God and Potiphar? I couldn't do that. I'm going to stop right there and tell you, because this sin is so numbing, and we all kind of get sick and tired of being in the onslaught of immorality around us and the lack of boundaries and the marriages held in such low esteem that every one of us has to do a deep soul searching if we really understand that our root problem, whenever we fall in this area in thought, word, or deed, is that we are selfish by nature. You're being selfish. And Joseph says, come with me, and I'll teach you how to conduct yourself in the face of every temptation. How? You recount the blessings of God, and then you say, how could I break that? God has blessed me so much. Remember when Jesus healed the ten lepers, and one came back and said, thank you, and he said, didn't I, didn't I heal ten, and only one came back? At the root of the Christian's life, for her obedience and his obedience It's about thankfulness and love for the friend who saved you. And it's an obedience from the heart. Because you belong to God, which is wonderful to belong to God. You also belong to Potiphar. (laughs) See, God had put a human being under the possession of another human being and made that man Potiphar blessed Joseph immensely and Joseph understood aligned under Potiphar aligned under God that he belonged to Potiphar and he would do what was right to Potiphar and he would do what was right for Potiphar's wife and he would do what is right for all the other people watching him who knew he was a Hebrew in that house to teach them the law of God by the way he lived See, we don't belong to ourselves. We also belong to this world. You know, when you're a little kid and you've got that song, this little gospel light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. God wants every human being to shine with the righteousness of sexual purity. He wants people, when they see you, to see the beauty of purity of motives and selflessness and commitment to marriage. He wants you to stick out. He wants you to be different. He wants you to be, if the world's going to call it, a prude to be a prude. He wants you to show them there is something wonderful out there that's huge to God and human beings are to uphold it. Marriage should be honored by all. Because we belong to the world to be their blessing and to protect their marriages, to protect their daughters, to protect their sisters. God wants us to protect everyone. We're not protecting people 
when we're letting ourselves go the way of the world. A few, I, it's no secret I just got back from Scandinavia. I've been there four times. A couple of years ago, I did a marriage seminar there, and I wanted to see what Swedish society was like, so I went online to see what, divorce, what was the state of marriage in, in Sweden. You can, you know, find so many stats for, for the whole world. There, was a, there, there are some tables that show, best they can tell, the stats of all the countries for marriage and divorce rate. The, Sweden has the highest divorce rate in the entire world, 58.6%. America, 58.4, a very close second. I am preaching in a culture here on this day, on the Sixth Commandment in 2017, to people who are saturated in a culture that diminishes the importance of marriage and commitment and God and, and, and keeping that light in front of everybody that marriage is a beautiful thing, but God, it's God's thing and it's for them too. It's for everybody. And we show the world that it's for them as a great blessing when we conduct ourselves as people that are going to hold marriage up high. And finally, we belong to our spouse. Now, we're going to, for a moment, if you're single, just, just listen in very closely, and then I'm going to pull you back in. But if you are a married person or you live around married people, you have to understand that the relationship between a husband and wife is God's thing. This is very important when the devil is starting to woo someone out of a marriage and you're involved. Maybe you're sitting there listening to them and you're interested in them. Maybe, maybe you're the one that's starting to leave the marriage in your heart. And somebody else is listening to you. Marriage is sacred. And the selfless, godly thing to do, if someone is showing you the weaknesses of their commitment and they're starting to fade away from their marriage, is to chase them back to their spouse and back to God because they belong to that spouse, even if it's not going well. That's not yours to mess with. It's sacred ground. They belong to them. And if you take your mind and heart away from your spouse, emotionally, that's usually how women get tempted the most. Physically, that's usually how men get tempted the most. You are hurting your spouse. And when I've had to and get to help people that are going through this kind of fracturing of the relationship, you can sense a cool indifference to the feelings of the one who's offended. And especially when I've had an opportunity to talk to the adulterous person who broke up the marriage, they're completely indifferent to the feelings of the spouse that lost their, their mate to them. Because selfishness is cold and cruel. Now, if you're single, first of all, you belong to God. You're his spouse. And he talks about it as marriage. If you have potential of being married which everyone really kind of does, you belong to your prospective spouse. And Joseph was protecting the marriage that was coming by keeping himself from sinning with this woman. Uh, when we were in Sweden this week, Mary was asked to talk to the girls while I talked to the boys about these things. And she got some advice from our Cindy, who works with the youth group. And so she took a 
wrapped up present and passed it around the room with the girls. And she made, in 90 seconds, said, you have to unwrap the present and wrap it back. Unwrap the present and wrap it back. Next person. And they timed each one. And they laughed. And then at the end, the, this present, which came in beautifully wrapped with a beautiful bow, was torn a little bit here and there, wrinkled everywhere, and tattered. And she said, now, this is your purity that you, because these are all young women not married, that you give your husband. And if you let another boy unwrap it and wrap it back, and another boy unwrap it and wrap it back, and another boy unwrap it and wrap it back, you give your husband a tattered, different, treaded-over gift. Singleness is, and people that are single, have just as much responsibility to model the gift of marriage in the way that they conduct themselves, even if it's for the potential mate or if it's for the sake of everybody else to show them what marriage is all about. It's all law, isn't it? The law is beautiful. Psalm 19, David said, the law is beautiful and perfect. It's also as beautiful as a surgeon's knife. It cuts because our lives are not beautiful. There's not one of us who doesn't feel guilty when they hear this talk. But we know it's the beautiful truth about marriage. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus, whoever looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. What are we to do? Paul said, when you sin sexually, you sin against your own body. It is incredibly shaming. It's a different kind of guilt, a guilt about the sixth commandment, because it strikes so close to the inner person. Um, It makes you think, I despise myself, when you hear the naked truth about the sixth commandment, pun intended. But Jesus loves you because he's your friend. You see, you're not God's friend because you're such a good friend that he decided to pick you. (laughs) You're never God's friend because you're such a good friend that he decided to pick you. The disciples were terrible friends, and he kept coming back to them and grabbing them and pulling them back. And the parable that he taught about the prodigal son has this son who's the bad son coming back after wasting his life it's a story of jesus and the father's love what had the son been doing when he wasted his life the jesus said it with his own lips what had he been doing he wasted that inheritance on what prostitution he was a john He went and spent it all on sex and partying. But what did Jesus say the father did when he came home? He took his dirty clothes off of him and he put a new robe, a family robe back on him. And he had a party. You see, 
God is not bothered by your shame. God loves you as his child. So when you hear the sixth commandment and it makes you ashamed, run home. Run home. And expect every single time that he will have that party and put his robe of righteousness on you, a new ring on your finger, and say, I forgive you. The night before Jesus died, he said, I am your friend, and no greater thing can a friend do than to lay down his life for his friends. And he laid down his life for you. So this is what he says. Marriage is huge to me. Start dealing with your temptations. Accept my forgiveness and grace. I'm never going to leave you. It's a journey. It's not a destination. I knew you were going to have trouble with this from the day you were conceived. But I love you still. Don't listen to the world. Don't be numb in your head or your heart about right and wrong. And don't forget, just like I was with Joseph, I will be with you because I love you and you're my friend. And with that, we know we have strength to stay in the fight, to keep the sixth commandment, knowing that we are forgiven already when we don't. Amen.